because we're talking about a biblical theology of marriage, and we're really sort of you know, fundamental. I realize it might be just a review for you guys, most of it, but we're kind of building the groundwork. We have some folks that are sort of new faith, and other folks that are serving some down. Starting with verse 1, though, Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation by faith. Now this is the, this is the key scripture that we're building on for sure. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's interesting that uh, we go back to the authority of God's word again. When we talk about biblical theology of marriage, we're always talking about what is the authority. The professionals would say, what is your epistemology? Where is the source of truth? And so we have to lay the groundwork. Sometimes we're always scraping at the surface. We're always sort of grabbing at something else to try to fix our problems when we really lack the very fundamental uh, belief and understanding of faith, which is really that God established everything by his word, not only just in creation, but also in sustaining everything we do, especially in our marriage. marriage, There can't be anything more intimate other than our relationship with Christ and our marriage. And I think as we build on this, we'll see this together. Before we get started on the, in the um, PowerPoint, the lecture, I want you to look at that one handout you have. Uh, it's a spiritual life assessment. And I want, I'm want i going to read these to you, and I'd like to rate yourself, because I want to show you something on the very end of this as we go through this. We'll do it quickly, but just you know, put your numbers strongly disagree or strongly agree as I read these statements. Number one, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Savior and Lord. Scripture is a great comfort to me in times of struggle. You're talking about, you know, you rate yourself one to ten. And no one else is going to get this, so this is going to be yours. I'm going to show you how to do some self-examination with it. I'm actively involved in a local body of believers. (coughs) You can read into this as you want to as you understand it. I'm willing to be obedient to God no matter what. I'm willing to measure all of my actions, thoughts, and attitudes against God's Word. That's number six. I believe God's way is better than my way. I trust God more than I trust my own opinion and ideas. I am willing to joyfully submit to God's authority. Number nine. Number nine. Number 10, I am the biggest sinner I know. I worship God freely and joyfully. Number 11. Number 12, I enjoy being with other believers, sharing about Christ. 13, Jesus is my life. I regularly study God's Word in order to know Him better. Be honest about your assessment. This is for you. Number 15. Prayer is a vital part of my day. I share my faith with others. 
I regularly confess my sin to God. Number 17. I rely on Christ alone rather than my own works. And then number 19, I have joy in Christ. Now, if you put anything less than 10, this is an area for your concern. This is for you to examine, consideration, for self-confrontation. This is this is the semblance of a log in your own eye. A, could be a leaven that's working against your marriage and your, your spiritual life. Whatever it may be, uh, anything less than 10 is, is where for you to work. You need to be working there. You need to be... And so when you go home, that's what I want you to do. This is sort of the homework before we get into the lecture. I'd like for you to, you know, just circle those areas or, or at least look at those areas in your own life and then try to formulate a plan. Or you can contact Pastor Jeff or myself and we'll work to give you some uh, resources and help you work through some of these issues. But these are weak links, if you will, to a great relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, your relationship with Christ always parallels your relationship to your marriage. So you know your perception of your marriage is much different than the, of the genuine relationship intimacy. So at usually with your paralleling Christ, if your intimacy is with Christ, it'll parallel your intimacy with your wife, your, your husband. I remember Cindy when we were reconciling our marriage. She's in our counseling. She said, and it was really neat because I could find, kind of finally see this because I was trying to build trust again. It took years to build trust, and and so therefore. Um, the, the idea was, and our counselor helped us see that you can trust Mark as you see him trusting Christ. And so that the idea was that it's always going to bleed over, overflow into the horizontal, your vertical. So you need to close the gap on these parts here, this spiritual assessment. So um, let's get started, if you will. We're going to talk about what we what we talked about first of all last we said we start off with Christ is the center of your marriage is God the center of your marriage that's the idea isn't it um, so what are some of the things that work against the center of your marriage speaking of our first meeting it was a long time ago I know but what are some things that work against us having a Christ centered marriage. Busy. Busyness. Amen. Yep. Even being busy can you can work around that sometimes. But what about selfishness? Does that work against Christ centeredness? Being selfish other than being other centered. What else? Pretty simple. How about sin? I mean I know selfishness is, but just having our own independence and sin um, is a problem. Can be. So Christ is having a Christ-centered marriage is more than just going to church and being a member of the church. You know, it's it's functionally active in our home and in our lives. And so as we dialogue with our families, as we interact uh, with one another, there's a humility and there's a teachability. There's a there's an air of Christ's love and the fruit of the Spirit that's always evident in everything we do. So there's a, a genuine character change, basically. Uh, week two, Pastor Brian talked about what? What did he talk about? Anybody? Hallmark Channel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Hallmark Channel discussion. 
He bashed him, didn't he? Bless his heart. He was poor homo. He was subtle. He was subtle. He was sweet. He was sweet about it. So what did we learn about it? I don't know. Tell me. Any one single thing? Or he came away thinking about what? You sold your TV this last week. Okay, got that. Maybe we should watch more homo. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's... Um, Okay, thank you, Pastor Brian. His <laughs> impact was just amazing. Three purposes for marriage, and just to start this thing off, and we're going to be in Genesis, the first chapter. Um, if you want to turn that direction, I'll quote that here in just a minute from the PowerPoint, and then we're going to we're going to actually read chapter two. Um, so. But first of all, these first three blanks are sort of the, a summary or, or an outline of, of the purpose for marriage. Uh, one is propagation of, of children, of course, verse 28. Prevent sexual sin, verse 57. And provides companionship, Genesis 2.18. And we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit more. But these three Ps are really the idea for purpose of marriage. Marriage is not to make us happy. When you've been married, you know that that's true. You know? <laughs> Except for me. I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we're supposed to have children as prevent sexual sin. God wants purity so you can see the purity of Christ and provides companionship. And it's interesting that the companionship is where Dr. Adams always taught us. He said that man should not be alone is the, is the number one need of man is really what he's saying is that because after creation, other than the relationship with Jesus Christ, because really he was talking about he had, he had communion with Adam and Eve, but but he said it's not good the man be alone. So companionship is a, a really driving force. Sometimes even people in their sin are trying to have relationships they shouldn't, but those are three things that are pretty big. I think, um, yeah. And so in Genesis 1, and then we're going to transition to 2, we're going to just kind of read through this. We'll just get as far as we can, and we'll call a day. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You notice the plural use here, us and in and, and our image. Uh, so we're talking about the Trinity. Um, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, all over the birds of heaven, and livestock, and all over the earth, and over every creepy Creeping thing, creepy thing in Halloween. <laughs> this Halloween's would be creepy. That creeps on the earth. You'll see plenty of them on the 31st, right? So God created man in his own image. And we're going to talk about the image bearers. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. At dominion, we're going to talk about dominion, what that means over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over everything, living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, I know this, again, as they say, it's kind of fundamental, but the truth of the matter is it really is important about this picture. Let's take a look gander at chapter 2. Um, and let's... Um, let's read... Let's start reading somewhere here about um, 15 to the end, 15 to 25. Who'd like to say read 15 to 
15 and 16, and we'd like to read 18 through 20, and then 21 through 25. Those three passages. Okay, which one? 15. 15? 18 through, okay, through 20. And then 21 through 25, somebody? Okay, good. Okay. Good, Dave. So, uh, chapter 2, yeah. verse 15 and 16. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Okay. Uh, I guess 2.18. 15 to 18. Okay, I'm sorry. But of the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yeah. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper and make him a helper fit for him. Right. 19 and 20. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he could call them. Uh, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, the birds, the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper, helper comparable to him. He's 21 to which one? 25. <clears throat> and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Beautiful. So uh, there are a few things we need to just simply touch on here, and then we're going to try to unpack a particular principle that sort of invades uh, the biblical church's theology on, on marriage. Uh, first, we established, established that man and women are really equal in person, which he's called dignity and value. So they're equal in person and dignity and value, but they function differently. We call those roles, the biblical roles. And this all came out of the heart of God. Now, this is interesting. I want you to kind of unpack that a little bit. That try to think that the creation of this entire process, whether in how babies are born to the intimacy, the marriage, the relationship of marriage, uh, every little detail of our functional marriage dynamic, if you will, is all came, all came out of the heart of God. And I think if we just remember that, and if, if that could be something that really resonates in your conflict, resonates in your everyday life, you, you start appreciating that the divine input that God made in doing this entire process. So there is a particular um, there's a particular value. We're going to talk about how that's distorted here in a few minutes, but also he talks about a complementary nature of man and woman. There's, they're they're complement each other. We're complementarians in the sense that there's a, there's a unity built around how we complement each other to replicate the Christ and creation and Christ and the church today. But there is a complementary kind of value. Now, the, earth, the world doesn't value that at all. Uh, but it is the fullest use and function and power in the church, for sure. It eliminates the individuality that really attacks the unity of the church. And it's built within the relationship. Maximizing the power of unifying relationships is understanding complementarian uh, position that we live in. 
Now we're complementarian in, in, um, in everything, how we function. Especially our goals as a marriage, our unity and goals as a marriage. We're complementarian as far as uh, our finances, our parenting, everything. Now because God created it, it causes us problems when we don't function that way. When we're not functioning that way, we become. We ask, okay, what's the problem? Now we can point out a particular issue that's a problem, but you know, fundamentally and and from the very root, it's it's we're not functioning based on how God's created marriage. Out of the heart of God, He said, "This is my plan," and He, and he spoke that into existence. And so we have to decide that is the Word of God really authoritative in our life? That's really the issue where you're challenged. Now it's interesting. Ken Ken Ham said, "If you can't understand Genesis one through eleven, you'll never understand the authority of Scripture. The entire sixty six books over the you know fourteen sixteen hundred years, uh, forty three different men, thirty eight plus some thousand scriptures spoken out of God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, penned by my men. No, you'll never understand the the, the explicit authority that it gives us in our life, and that we're subject to in our life that we'll function this way." And so Genesis is critical. This is a big book, and, and a lot of times there are uh, challenges in this book. There are challenges that uh, people have, have changed their doctrine. And we see people out that love the Lord, that you know worship God, we understand that. But they really don't believe the right account of creation. They're still, they're still sort of evolutionists. Because they, they believe in theistic evolution, where there's God's creative, and then he let it. You know, he, they're trying to buy into both, kind of an integration approach. And we are young earth people, aren't we? So we're young earth people, and that's not very popular. I can remember when Larry Collins came to visit the seminary I was teaching in, and, and um, uh, Dr. Brain, my, my president, or the president of the seminary, said, Hey, I'd like to take you around, Rick, and show you our seminary. And he said, Well, I'm not, I'm not going with you. I, I just asked Rick this when we came here. Uh, and he goes, Ah, I. Don't know if I remember that. It's, yeah, there was a big, big deal over the campus. So I know you said it because everybody was crying about it. You go, I'm not going to go with you unless you guys prove to me you're younger. If you don't believe in the young earth, there's no reason for me to go visit your seminary. And Dr. Clark was the president of the seminary, but then, but then Dr. Brain was the president of the, um, well, theological seminary. They were shocked. And they're like, no, no, we're young earth people. So he took the, he took the tour. I mean, that's the power of it because it sets the stage for everything. You think it sets stage for your marriage? It does. And your conflict? Yep, absolutely. Authority is established and it's there. Either you believe it or you don't. If you don't, there's trouble coming. You're going to have a hard time trying to function like you're a biblical entity without the authority establishing that in your heart bringing conviction. So that's, that's the big deal. So it has to bring, we have to be complementarian in everything that we're doing. Also, he talks about the imperative uh, nature of leaving a family of origin and cleaving to another one. Leave and cleave. We won't even have time to cover all those right now tonight, but today, but um, <clears throat> that's another big boy right there is that people are functioning where uh, mom and dad are still having some authority or say so in the family. I hear all the time husbands and wives who are in conflict because a spouse, they're one of their one of their in-laws are having input in the family or they're interfering and that becomes a problem because the scripture establishes the authority of the leave and cleave principle that a new family is started. They leave an established family and establish a new family unit under Christ. And so, uh, let's just talk about 
image bearers is number one. He talked about this in verse 26 through 28. That means a reflecting image of unlikeness of another. That's what this, the word image bearer means. In this case, a man and women that reflect the character of God. Now, this is really kind of whacked out because in some places, um, when I hear people talk, a lot of times they really have an overemphasis of their value. They're valuable to God, but they have an overemphasis in functioning because they they try to have more input into their value than what the Scripture says. And so they, they put a lot of emphasis on self-esteem and self-value, and they do, they're do they really interested in all that. And I realize this is an, an image issue, so a lot of times... People are not functioning as, as image bearers, but both man and women both are created in God's image, and uh, it's all encompassing. In the word mankind, really means Adam, um, as it's spelled out in verse twenty-seven. C. So, what's neat about this is that we have, if you look at this from a functional perspective, okay. So a lot of times people aren't functioning as image bearers of Christ. We can see the sin that starts in there, but then the other thing is. They don't understand the values uh, is associated with that. And there's a reason for that. In the New Testament, a lot of people take this one scripture out of context. That's what I was going to try to cover some ground on a little bit, if I can. Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you are were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There, There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this is a pretty common thing that Paul was talking about uh, with the Galatians, but uh, in their kind of legalism. But the issue was, is there really a male or female in functional? Does this, does this attack our functional ability in our marriages? And I would say no. Let's take a quick gander at this, see if I have it in here. There's cultural confusion as I unpack this. Number one, a lot of times uh, they don't understand it's justification versus sanctification. When we're one in Christ, he's talking about self, you know, justification, that, that we're being saved. The smallest baby when it comes to creation is just as valuable as we are. There's no pecking order, if you will, when it comes to justification. So there is a, a cross-the-board value between husband and wife. But it's not talking about sanctification. Um Value versus function, again, is another one. I think a lot of people take that value part, they take that scripture, and they say, well, now I can be a woman pastor. I can go out and preach the gospel now. And it's all right. Because you completely ignore all the the um, the words that Paul wrote about women teaching or having authority over men. And that debunks that. They say, well, this has authority. This this where we, we use this scripture. And I, I used to be in a denomination that did that. So there's... It doesn't contradict Ephesians 5 and biblical roles because we're talking about justification, not sanctification. And it flies in the face of evolutionary culture and theology, which is that everybody's equal. Now, you notice the big feminist movement that's going on right now. And it's growing. It's growing even more and more and more. Think about that. Wherever the culture is, the, the Bible is usually 180 degrees out. And it always stays that way. And some churches and some people kind of go with the culture. I was speaking to a lady about a Sunday night service, and and she said to me, well, that's culturally not acceptable anymore. People in this culture don't really go to church on Sunday night. Now, I know functionally, I can see people doing that functionally, and they just don't go because they're out of the habit of doing that. 
But just because it's old school doesn't mean it's it's working that way. But the church and its authority says, hey, we're going to have this service. Now, if they don't want to, that's fine. It's fine. But uh, sometimes people, you know, submit to the cultural movement and, and attitudes before they realize there's spiritual authority. If pastor says for us to come to church and gather, that's a gathering. We do that. We do that because we, we're under his authority and we do that. Uh, but again, cultural always has an impact on people because we go out here and breathe the toxins of the world. We come back to church and try to read our Bibles and try to get our lives back in, in sync again. So everything we're doing is flies in the face of this evolution of the idea that that women's rise. Now, remember what was Eve's big thing about her sin? What's her one attitude that she'll always keep in Genesis 3? Remember that? You'll desire what? Position. You'll desire your husband's position, but he'll rule over you. Yeah. So a man will always be working hard, you know, and yeah. So again, I mean, that seems like the rise of the spirit of Eve, if you will, constantly going, going, going. And so women are, and it's now, it's just a, it's so, uh, it's so messed up, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Uh, misused, the, the scriptures misused to justify equality of leadership in the home as well. I counseled some folks in um, Seattle years ago, and she said, it just works better because I'm a stronger leader. But there, what about the authority of Scripture? I understand you're probably a stronger leader, but why not help your husband do this so it pleases the Lord, bringing glorify, glory to God, rather than you just uh, functionally by the flesh, you know, over, overpowering the family. And so a lot of times we use this to, to justify. And a lot of the Arminian-based theologies have this uh, egalitarian kind of a equal rights uh, that are really functionally they're dysfunctional and they end up in counseling a lot of times because there's a, there's a power struggle going on and so again it goes back to the authority of Christ um, considerable growing factor for conflict in homes moving from the culture I kind of already spoke to that but it's a growing problem in the church today as people want to uh, women are trying to rise up in that not that we keep them down but they have to function in the role as God gave me. You're about ready to say something? Sidney? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Let's talk about image players. Um, good theology is we reflect the character of God according to Scripture, and we're both equal in dignity and value to God. But bad theology is this. Since we are valuable to God, I should esteem myself because of my own value as an image bearer. A lot of people do that. In fact, to just... Instead of understanding their value according to what the scripture says and, and then functioning that way, they do self-esteem, which means I'm going to do things for myself. Then it becomes very self-focused. It's not, it's not valuable anymore. And so they're not functioning within their image or they're forcing that image into a, pigeonholing that into a particular situation in the home. And so that becomes a real problem. So... Um, and the second one is, since God loves me as an image bearer, I should love myself so I can love others. Again, it's just a, it's an attitude of this. Uh, the Bible says you already love yourself, Ephesians 5. You already love yourself, so we're already caring for ourselves. We give ourselves baths, most of us do, except the French. And, uh, well, the French are not, they don't need to do that. They have all the perfume. But um, a lot of people are forcing that issue. 
And then psychology also implies that if you're not loving yourself, you're not going to be able to love God. That, that's sort of a written theology. I read this in one of their uh, integration books in counseling. It says that you have to start with loving yourself so you can love God. It's nowhere in the Bible tells us that. And so that becomes a cultural influence on us. Um, and then the other big problem is, my biggest problem is identity crisis, not sin. Now it's alleged, it's only alleged that, that, a, that a large Christian university <coughs> allowed homosexuals to join the seminary. It's just alleged. And they were on Facebook talking about their relationships, their homosexual relationships, and it got out into the public, and um, John MacArthur got a hold of it and threw the, uh, the university under the bus in his speech. You know. Anyways, it turned out um, this president of the university went to the um, presidents, I guess, and, and also faculty. So, what's this deal? And he said, they said, well, the problem is not homosexuality. The problem is they have an image problem. They have an identity crisis. And so, again, how does that work? I mean, is that is that an identity crisis? Can we can we always say that sin is an identity crisis? That's a question for you to answer. Can we always say that sin is an identity crisis or not? I mean, even if it is, is it is it an excuse for sin? No, not is. I mean, I wouldn't think so. So again, that's sort of a psychological thing, saying, "Well, if they have an identity crisis, no wonder they're doing that." And that's not to be held against them, but that's not the way we function. That's not the way we function. Let's see what else we have. So what does the scripture say about the equality of men and women in their roles? Uh, we have to ask that question. Um, it's important. What, what are we supposed to do? What's the role supposed to look like? And just in general terms. What's our biblical roles look like, according to Ephesians 5? We're kind of laying the groundwork for biblical theology, part one. Men should protect, provide, initiate, lead. Okay. So technically, man is leading the home to represent Christ as he loves his wife. And then, so what about the women? Anything wrong with the church? Does the church have dignity and character? Does the church have love and concern? Is there intimacy and is there love and unity within the church? I mean, are you, do you love the church? Well, wives are to submit to Christ, to submit to their husband, unto Christ, isn't it? That's a, it's a normal process. So there's nothing wrong in any one of those roles. They're wonderful, and God created them. As, as He created you, He put you in a place, you in a role. Um, and then the children obey their parents as is pleasing the Lord in, in Ephesians 6. So there is, it's not a pecking order, but there is an established role that is really good for the church. It's, fun, it's neat when you see people functioning that way. They have, uh, they have great uh, testimonies, and everything they do brings glory to God. Uh, is this about justification and not? This is about justification, not sanctification. So we know that, and we're all equal in value. Remember, in our position according to Galatians and justification, but we're functionally different in our roles. In Ephesians five, twenty-two through twenty-six. Now, any feedback or talk? Anything you want to talk about that? Because we're close to closing out here. Anything? I mean, is that pretty clear? Or is it not that clear? Is there a problem with that? It's very general. Yeah. The Bible seems to say in Ephesians 5 
respect, husbands love their wives, and yes. want to submit. But how that plays out is yes. in specific situations. Amen. Yeah, John. Amen. And you know what? And, and really notice this, that love and submission working in full steam spiritually look the same. They almost look the same. You can't always tell because there's so it's so there's so much humility in each part of that that love and um, and submission. So it doesn't really give you the ideas. It doesn't lay out every little thing which you have to submit to, which you don't have to submit to. The same thing with love. But the attitude of love is being selfless. It's being selfless. And the attitude of submission is being willing to, to submit. Being willing to follow. So the willingness, yes. It does say in everything okay. that we submit in everything. And I know that... Um, you know, if your husband asks you to sin, then you, um, you wouldn't submit to that. But you would have the right attitude about it. Um, okay. But according to the Bible, it says that we should submit in everything to that husband. Good. So, in the discussion... I like what John was saying. I'm kind of like thinking like him in terms of... You're talking about two state frame minds, but the rubber meets the road is really conflict with that. So... You have a situation where one person is asking a question, and why you question me? Why am I right to ask a question? So in other words, now you're—that's really really conflict, right? I think we're all. I saw him look at me. I'm saying you're going to walk out of here yeah. with everyone pretty much agreeing. Yeah. But then we'll be confident with the lunch when you get home. So yeah, it's like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> my, okay, but my question is, so you've got the, and this is not at all good, I'll just say, right? <laughs> that means it is, but you No, it really is. So you have these cultural, American culture and French are different. You have the American culture idea of what the man should be doing, sort of, generally. What the woman should be doing. But then, let's say that man willingly says, well, I'm not strong in this area, so you take over. You know, and he's saying, you know, so at that point, is that wrong with him? He's saying, you know, I'm not good, let's say, on taking care of the finances. Mm-hmm. So you do that. So the woman, all of a sudden, because I've talked to women that say, that's a big stress on me because my husband's not good at it, and I do it all. And I'm the one who knows how much we have, and I'm the one who knows how much we can spend. He's got no clue. You know, so, you know, but yet culturally, we send, tend to think maybe the manager, I don't know. And so that could be, that's just one example of many where the man says, you go for it, you're better at it. And he's he gives that authority to the woman, and so she takes it. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think there's anything um, unusual about the rubber meets the road areas there, but it's it's the spirit of the willingness to submit, the spirit of the willingness to love. That's when you can solve the problems when a person is <coughs> just like saying, which is more important, repentance or forgiveness? They're equally important, but they're functional, and is person is willing to repent, willing to forgive all the time, then when it, when the rubber meets the road by the grace of God, you'll you'll they'll work right through that. They got to be glorified. Same thing with wives and husbands. If they're willing to love, and love means sacrifice, means sacrifice. Really, love doesn't just mean a feeling; it's not emotion. But it's uh, if you're willing to sacrifice for the for the marriage, like the husband gives the finances away, but then they fall apart. The wife goes is falling apart. The husband's willing to take it back or willing to take ownership of every mistake. That's happening. That's love. So love functioning the way it's supposed to. So it's hard to equate biblical theology with the culture of France, France and, and America, because we do. I know we function in those ways in America. We function in these ways, but in the Bible, we're trying to be much more conscious of what God is pleasing to the Lord. Find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And so as we're functional, 
Um, it doesn't mean that in your home there has to function identical. It's not a cookie cutter thing. It's kind of what John is saying too. It's not. It's not really a cookie cutter. You just can't write it down. It's good for every home. But the spirit of both those things is good for every, every home. The idea that the spirit and the humility built around that solves the problems. I guarantee if I get somebody in my office that has a willingness to submit and another one's willing to love, it's, it's a problem solved quickly. Quickly. So, and in prayer and in love and consideration for each other. And I know that sometimes we're, because it says in verse 21, submit one to another. So even, even husbands are submitting. We all submit to Christ. So, we all have this submission. We, and it tells everybody else to love, love your husbands. It says in Peter. So we have to love and submit all the time. We're always doing it in the spirit of that. But we're not trying to function as the boss hog and the servant alone. We have we have the servant and we have the boss hog, and that's that's not the spirit by which the church is functioning for sure. So which role is more difficult? Oh, did you have? Oh, I was just gonna. I think a lot of it too has to do with even just cultural semantics of when. We in this culture, especially when here submit, we think to the floor, groveling, doing everything that the husband said. You know, and I don't think that that's what God intended, even by saying the word submit. I don't think that's exactly what it meant. And so I think that's why, especially, you see that culture counter culture reaction yeah. um, of well, I'm just a shadow. I'm just in my husband's shadow. <clears throat> When it says submit, and I don't think that's what God intended either, and I think that's where we get that backlash. Mm-hmm. Excuse, excuse to I'm not going to submit. Not gonna right. Any opinion on anything? I'm just going to yeah. be back here. Good. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a possibility. Yep. So yeah, it, it uh, again, it, it goes back to are we considering one another in submission and love? So if a person is not submitting, if they say no, I won't share my finances. I won't sleep with you. I won't do this. I won't do that. Then there, there's something's wrong both in love or and or submission as well. Um, the question, the answer to what is the which role is most difficult to obey? The answer is all of them if you're doing it in the flesh. They're all. They're both equally difficult. And what are some possible purposes for the feminist movement today? And why in the church? Why is why is this so per- pervasive in the church of you know the evangelical movement? Why is feminist movement? Because you see more and more feminist you know women preachers, and you see more dominance there. And yeah, a lot, lack of godly men. Yeah. Lack of godly men. Because women did so much. Yeah, for I'm women sorry? to get. I'll be honest. I, I mean, I'll be honest. It's just but anyway, <laughs> I know a, a girl who's Spanish, married to an American man, and they divorced. But and she told me, they, you know, raising Christian home missionaries at first, he gave me everything, and it was too much. I had to do everything, every single thing. Yeah. Children, this, that, that, and I got sick of it. And so, yeah, but it wasn't functioning in love. So I mean, she could have appealed to the elders, and right. it could have been solved. So there's another issue there. But I think right, he goes right, back. No. I think it's deeper than having men, no godly men, I think the issue is is that there's no authority of the Word of God. So it goes back to the Word of God. He created everything by the Word. So I think it's uh, I think the reason feminine moves on because they don't use the Bible anymore. Now we're entertaining and it's not about Scripture. What are biblical roles? Why are they so important to family dynamic today? I think kind of like what she just said where it was too much on one person. We're supposed to be a team and so to divide and conquer, so to speak, as a marriage. And so when you have the, everything put on one side, it's important to then keep in mind that we each have these roles in marriage. Yeah, okay? amen. That's good. 
So it's important because the more we function biblically, the more grace we can expect in our family. That's what happens. So we try to keep that functional. We try to keep that functioning aspect of our, our family in love and submission, the attitude and spirit of that under the authority of the scripture, then we have maximized the grace that's functioning within the family. So it's everything boils down to find out what pleases the Lord, Ephesians 5.10. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together and the brief little uh, time to unpack these biblical roles. I know it's touchy sometimes. It's even sometimes not very clear in the sense of uh, all the little nuances of submission and love. Um, so we pray that your word will make it clear. We pray that uh, our attitudes above all things, that we don't have every detail, every I dotted and T crossed, but every the spirit of that. We pray that our hearts be humble, willing to submit, love uh, when someone's not lovable, and submit when somebody's not worthy. And I pray that that attitude and submission, uh, you'll empower that person, give them the grace to do that. We're thankful for your goodness and grace to us in this family and this church. In Christ's name, amen. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up next week.